Welcome back, everybody, to another companion episode here from the Jurassic Park podcast. This is our coverage for Monarch Legacy of Monsters, and I am here, Brad Jost, once again, back with Agent T, the one and only. Which say you're you're that way, yeah. Agent T is here in the building. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we've got a lot to discuss, and um, I'm excited to talk about episode four. So. Uh, give me your thoughts and feelings, because this was a, a pretty interesting episode. Do you do you do you have any thoughts or feelings on just overall uh, what you just saw? Yeah, I think that overall. So I should say I've watched it twice at this point. Um, Same. Just to really sort of knuckle down on all of the detail in it, and I think I'm really excited by the direction it's heading in. Um, so it definitely feels a little bit like a filler episode in the sense that it's giving you a lot of. Um, sort of emotional weight for the characters and their relationships more so than anything else um but i think there's a lot of exciting things kind of sprinkled in here a lot of little bits of lore that are quite exciting i feel so i'm looking forward to talking about some of it yeah i uh, i agree i mean i i don't know if i would say filler episode per se but like it yeah i guess it kind of like it felt like not a lot was happening and they were yeah. like at times I was like, man, we're still here. We're still here. Like, I just want to I want to keep breezing through because so far this show has been blasting through stuff like. Right. Um, yeah. So this one felt a bit slower, like it slowed down a little bit. But I liked that it took that time to. You know, show us the emotional side of a lot of this. And um, and I really love it when this show gives us like the heart of these characters and makes us feel something about who they are. And like, I, I appreciate like giving us some time with these characters to like start to love them and, 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 you know, uh, fear for them. And I, so yeah. I, I really dug this episode. I thought it was pretty cool. Plus there was a few, like you said, there was like some really deep, like lore kind of stuff I thought was really cool and, um, yeah. just world building stuff. So that, that was fun. But uh, anything else before we dive into the, you know, point yeah. by point here? I think it's really interesting to note, actually, that this is the first episode where we don't have any flashbacks to um, Younger Shaw, Randa, and Keiko. Mm, oh, yeah. And they're not in this episode at all, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I it didn't even dawn on me this whole time. I you know I didn't even I didn't even consider that. I was like I was just so immersed in that episode as it was that I didn't even think. Oh yeah, we missed out on all well, the, you've got uh, the past. Team, you know, working for Monarch, <laughs> I've got to keep an eye on all those details. Good, I'm glad you're here for that. Uh, so this one kicks off in Utah in 2015, and at this point, I'm like, because it's been uh, we got the first two was it two episodes and then the third one was like pretty quick turnaround too right so i feel like we've it's been a week off and i'm like oh wait wait 2015 where are we oh yeah we're back this is the current <laughs> timeline we're in we're in 2015 this is where the story is taking place um and a signal appears um and i thought you know this was pretty cool it was it was uh, some sort of signal that appeared out at outpost 47 they got some mm -hmm. you know signal out there and i was like oh is this this is like the legacy of Monarch is just like some trailer out in the middle of a desert <laughs> that, you know, because they talked about we're going to set up outposts all over the world. It's going to be such a massive thing. And then I'm like, oh, you've got trailers and somehow like we're going to have flying jets in the next movie. <laughs> yeah. 
I think I, so. I tell you one thing they did with this actually that was really cool is immediately while I was watching it, I went and logged on to um one of the wikis for the fandom, and Outpost Forty Seven isn't one of the ones that was on the interactive map. So they are building oh. out a different location than what we've seen before, which is cool. And I thought it was awesome that actually you know, they've taken the time to cross-reference with their viral marketing and make sure that it's still consistent with it. Um, And I I really like what you're saying, actually, about this kind of being Monarch's legacy, because you do get Verdugo later say that they'll send out a research team to the outposts. Um, But it's interesting to think that there's actually maybe one of these locations dotted around where you've got one or two Monarch agents, and if something goes wrong, they suddenly need their people from... Is it Arlington where the headquarters is to get sent yeah. out there? Like that that's quite interesting to think about, isn't it? Because it kind of defeats the idea of this big organization if actually all of it's centralized. Yeah, it makes me wonder like what like this person is is just living out in this trailer and this yeah. is the like so we're sit we're we're just researching signals at this point, I guess. And I wonder yeah. why. Like, is is this a particularly like well, because first off. The signal is from Alaska, which we learn later on. I guess we learn later on. Um, but this person's in Utah, so like, the, I I can't say that this is like a centralized location where maybe some stuff could be happening. You know, maybe there's yeah. like signals out in Utah. Maybe there are, but it's interesting that this old piece of equipment under a seat is like beeping and, uh, you know, gets a reading out in Alaska. So I, I don't know what's going on with these outposts, but I want to learn more about about all that. So yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. But we do head back to Alaska. Um, I was just going to jump in quickly and say there is something really interesting as well in this scene. Um, So I watched a breakdown this morning. I'm just trying to find out. I'm literally checking whose breakdown it was. I watched, I think it was Heavy Spoilers. It was either Heavy Spoilers or Think Story, one of the two. I watched both of their videos and they were really good breakdowns. Um, And one of them pointed out that the scientist at Outpost 47, her last name is Barnes. And in King of the Monsters, the leader of G-Team, the soldier, is Barnes. And on his file that they released before the film, Monarch lists him as having a sister. So there's potentially oh. an interesting connection there as well, which See, is quite cool. That's why I love this this universe, because like it, it uncovers things that I didn't even know like yeah. were, were related to anything. And I think that's the fun part about um, about watching something like this and diving into this universe is that like... You don't you don't have to know all the details, but um, when things get revealed to you, you're like, oh, these connections are so good. This is so yeah. great. Um, but yeah, we're we're back in Alaska, and uh, that monster, you know, that we saw at the end, the Titan there, was attacking their the plane and roared all over the place. So uh, it it just it gets distracted by the plane and then the flare gun, which I was like. Okay, yeah. Jurassic Park. What, what's going on here? You, uh, <laughs> he, Kentaro shoots the flare gun, and and it's just like, oh, I gotta go chase that thing for a second, and then it gets distracted, I guess. But they're able to escape into Kentaro in Jurassic World Evolution, right? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but they were able to escape into a little cave um, where it was kind of a creepy scene because like the the ice is breaking all around them and you can see yeah. the, the Titan up above and you got to know that thing's like super heavy. It's, it could just bust through at any moment. But instead, May falls through like a, a little piece of ice and gets soaked, you know, from the waist down, basically. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, like hypothermia is at stake here. So uh, that stinks. That stinks for this character to yeah. have to deal with that at that moment. But, um, but yeah. in the natural threat kind of predicated. So you had obviously the Titan in one hand hunting them down mm-hmm. and then literally just the environment itself being really deadly as well. Because I think that's a, a lot of the time when you have something that's in an Arctic environment, you don't necessarily deal with the ramifications of that. So it was quite cool seeing that actually they, they she got her legs wet and then they don't just brush it off as, oh, she's some super soldier who can survive this and it's not going to be a factor in the story again, Iron <clears throat> yeah. Grady. Um, she <laughs> ends up surviving. Uh, but obviously yeah. she has to deal with the hypothermia <laughs> kind of ramifications um, as opposed to just being fully submerged and being perfectly fine. Well, the Dolomites was a weird place because <laughs> it was freezing up there, ice and everything, and then just down below, perfectly fine swamp you know enough, yeah. no, so I, I i'm not gonna fault that too much but um but but at the same time lee is like just he's got no hat on he's just his his hair is blowing in the wind looking beautiful yeah. out there and, and he's not cold whatsoever that guy he's that guy's like 80 and he's like fine out there <laughs> yeah it's got those cool looking steampunk goggles as well you oh know? my god those goggles were awesome at one point i'm like what where did he get these things i mean they're yeah. perfect because you got to imagine it's like i know when it snows out here my eyes like i'm like it's i can't see anything it's too bright yeah. <laughs> so i need those i definitely need those <laughs> but uh this is the part where we um kind of get the context of the episode i feel like where we flash back to 2014 and kentaro's at like um like an art installation of his like he you know set up this thing he's working with somebody to uh you know set up his work in this place and he's having like a hard time i think describing his art and like and himself and his process and everything so um it was a cool scene to kind of set the tone, I think, for what's about to happen throughout this episode. And I, I, uh, I wanted to notate here. It said uh, his mom actually came in and was reading like a poster on the wall, and it said Kentaro Randa, Kentaro Randa's assertive exploration of parallels and interiors invites the viewer to challenge their assumptions about identity. And mm. that that is like you could have put that basically uh, as the tagline for this episode the summary for this episode because i felt like that was like setting the tone and saying like this uh, this episode's all going to be about like challenging what the people within the episodes think of each other and like and what do we think about who these characters are so i thought that was pretty uh pretty cool uh, a nice way to tie yeah. things together i think it's interesting as well because actually the title of the exhibition at least in my opinion hints at where the entire story is going as well which is interiors interiors yeah (laughs) i know yeah it was interiors and parallels they're like well and which we'll learn later it's like this it's it's like paralleling like a a thing from space but it's actually the interior of the planet like it's like yeah it's very 
very on the nose, I think, but like I I appreciate this kind of stuff. Um, and then like later on, Kentaro, like just a minute later, like he's taking a picture of the sign out front, and he accidentally takes a picture of May as she's walking by their first meeting ever, and you know she's like, can you delete this and stuff? And she looks at the poster yeah. at one point and she's like, is this really you? Like, is this who you are basically? And, and he's like, yeah, like he, he's not even sure about like who he is, you know, and his, you know, his identity, I guess. So this, yeah. I think later on, it'll come more into focus too. But um, I, I think it's worth just noting here, remember, and we'll come back to this later, I'm sure, as we get more into the character, but just remember that May's first Kanta like interaction with Kentaro is her wanting him to delete the photo, so she doesn't want somebody to have a photographic record of her. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting, too. <laughs> um, all right, so we're back in 2015 now in Alaska, and they're traversing the, the mountaintops, you know, pretty simply. They're just wandering around Alaska. They don't know where they're going. But I I, uh, I thought it was interesting. They, they don't really believe Kentaro about, like, where or what he saw out in, out in the... Um, uh, snow out there like he says he saw a place and nobody believes him at all um even at one point uh separate from that but uh shaw mentions like you know that he never came across two titans that were the same i thought that was an interesting comment um yeah. but yeah but there's not much going on here it's just basically nobody believes him he's kentaro's trying to do the right thing he's trying to save people but uh they don't believe him and this is kind of the start of, of that, like not, not believing him throughout this episode. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's a thread for him, isn't it? And I am, um, you, you kind of see that later and I, I guess I'm jumping the gun a bit, but later when he has some hallucinations, um, a big theme of that is somebody believing in him and believing him. Um, and that I kind of think runs to the character's core really is actually him wanting this, this people to have trust in him but i think it, it it's really interesting in terms of the context of the monster verse as well because it paints a a wider picture actually and parallels really the universe that these characters are within where even though you've seen these big monsters there's not people who believe it right like you have that taxi driver from the first episode saying it's yeah. cgi there's still, <laughs> there's still this whole element of what's true what's not true and it's actually a interesting in a way because that character study almost reflects the whole theme of monarch and this organization as a whole as well yeah yeah i and this is even the the comment that is made like right at this moment um you know he says he's trying to save may he's trying to bring her to this place yeah. to get her help and he's like would you just and then it cuts to 2014 and he says trust me and he's like holding out his hand to her you yeah. know, like, so I love that parallel of, of the storytelling here. That's that's pretty cool. And he brings her into a bar um, and she's like, this is a dump. Like, what is this place? Yeah. And and it, it goes back to that comment before about, you know, the uh, assumptions to challenge their assumptions of identity. And, you know, it's a dump on the outside. But inside is this beautiful bar. Like, so yeah. it's all about challenging that you know that viewpoint i think and uh it's, all, it's really interesting isn't it because actually you can tell that my brain is way more engaged than i was with the previous three episodes with all of my wrong <laughs> um but thinking about it actually it's really interesting in the sense that 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 whole scene is almost how 
he's perceiving himself as well, isn't it? Because obviously they make a comment later about him having this messy hair and it's almost like he's presenting himself as this character that doesn't doesn't match who he really is. Whereas inside, when he lets May into his apartment later as well, that's kind of who he is inside. And that's the real Kentaro, if you like it, and not the, the image yeah. that he's portraying to others at this point. Well, even um, in some other episode, I forget which which episode or even honestly what was said exactly. But um, but Kate was like, oh, I thought you were a whatever. And he's like, no, you said yeah. that. I, he's like, that's not what I am. Like, so uh, it's kind of interesting. And even throughout this bar sequence, like, you know, they're trying to uncover him a little bit. And he's got all that he's got. Like, I think there was like a drink named after him or something like that. I don't even know. Yeah. It was like very confusing. But like. It's like fancy liquor, fancy place. He's dressed in in like nice clothes, and like that is never the the character that I thought he was over the course of these three past three episodes. Like I was like, this is this seems like a completely different guy. So it, it's just a facade, basically. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And they, then he brings her back to his place to show him his her art. You know, I gotta is I gotta show you my art. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have some art to show you of mine. Um, so, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, then we, um, we do see like his, his art just strewn about. It's like, um, it, it, this is the interior of him. You know, you get to see not this fancy bar and the fancy stuff. You get to see this messy apartment that's just got art scribbled all over the place. And she's like, okay, this is who you are. Like, I can see it now. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting because obviously in that moment you get, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go for it, Brad. I'm gonna bring us forward a little bit as well. So the <laughs> the things in the entire apartment, you get this sort of juxtaposition where Kentaro as a character is really sort of wearing his heart on his sleeve at this point, and he's kind of being really honest with May about who he is, what he does, what he's into, all of those kinds of things. And May, even at this point, you're seeing this character who is incredibly defensive about any kind of information about her whatsoever. So I literally wrote it down when she's asked what she does to work. She says computer again, which yeah. is exactly what she says in the previous episodes. Um, and she's very, very non-committal about what she's doing, who she's working for. Um, and she makes some comment about leaving uh, where she was in America and not liking it and coming to japan instead but that's literally it and then later you get a reference to um her sister back home trying to call her but that's it and even that the relationship she has with that person on the phone doesn't seem to be a particularly sibling-esque relationship it's quite cold um mm -hmm. the interaction is very very blunt very almost as if she doesn't want to have that interaction so i think it's, oh yeah it's that there's a lot more to this character than we realize and what i think i'm really fascinated about at this point is obviously with her not wanting her photo taken either that suggests that clearly she doesn't want there to be a record of where she is or anything perhaps so i'm curious as to the direction we're going with this character because i can see a few things i think it will be either self-contained, perhaps in the sense that she's a fugitive on the run, she's done something in America that she's trying to escape from, and that would explain perhaps some of the illicit skills that she's got. 
Or the other thing I could see this connecting to, which I think would be really interesting, is obviously we're focused on Monarch in this story, but we know that Apex is still functioning in the background. The character that Charles Dance plays in King of the Monsters is still going to be doing something somewhere at this point. So could we potentially see her connected to them somehow? I feel like there's a a lot of possibility, you know? Let's not forget that Randa was one of the founders of Monarch. So it's likely that Apex know who he is as well. And perhaps they knew that he had a son. You don't know. So there, there is potential interesting story to be told there, I think, if they choose to go in that direction. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I, I just like that this stuff gets uncovered little by little. And, and, uh, mm. and yeah, you're right. She's definitely running from something. And, and her sister... I don't know. It seems concerned, but who knows what the real story is. And, and she doesn't want to give up any information about where she is, like you're saying. And uh, even to the point where like, I don't know, is it a burner phone or what? But she but she's able to con- yeah. like get in contact with her sister. So like she could be traced at any point. Like it's not like uh, unless she's just like it's untraceable, you know, because she has a old phone with buttons on it, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. But um but yeah, there, there's there's some interesting stuff I think with with that character. I think we got to learn more about. But um, we also do. Um, uh, where were we before though? We were um, oh back back in 2015 again, where nobody's trusting him. They all split up and they go different directions. Um, we get a flash to uh, like you mentioned earlier, Arlington in Virginia. And now we're starting yeah. to see that okay, Monarch is is looking a little bit bigger it's it looks more like a you know government kind of uh facility yeah. you know kind of like a, a fbi headquarters or something like that um and they've got you know stuff all over the wall it's like a big control room or whatever um and they mentioned that you know this person in utah who did you say it was barnes uh found barnes. that radiation in alaska uh and it resembles a supermassive black hole uh yes which you would find in space so there's like parallels there between this radiation what's out in space and you know i wonder if that has anything to do with these monsters and where they've come from or anything like that that could be interesting to think about at some point because i don't know but um but you know like you mentioned before it's kind of like the interior as well in which we find out later on there is like a, a massive hole in the ground with this blue stuff erupting from it so that is uh, i'm assuming that reading there right and it's a rhythmic pulse there's something just pulsing from that spot which i thought was pretty cool and the last time they got those readings was just before g-day so godzilla day out in uh san francisco (laughs) yeah i think it's it's very much setting up for the hollow earth um which is fascinating because a it implies that kong came out of the hollow earth and and they well actually no it doesn't because the specific language they use makes it related to the two mutos because it's related to um the incident at the nuclear storage facility this is again from the video that i was watching earlier so i'm fully just (laughs) Going with research that somebody else has done. So thank you to whichever family it was that did that. Um, they say that there's two other incidences of it, which are basically the two mutos, which is quite interesting because A, either it is space related, 
you know, we know that King Ghidorah came from space. Is it feasible that perhaps other Titans did as well? You never know. Or B, it is related to the Hollow Earth. And I think that makes sense because in this universe, if you don't have the Earth's core inside the Earth, but rather have this other environment entirely, of course that place is going to have radiation. Of course it's going to be an incredibly different and toxic environment because that is where the core of the planet is and where we know that scientifically the stuff that holds everything else together has to be. <laughs> Therefore, that that's a, a really interesting concept for it. And actually, I think it sets a really interesting precedent for the idea that the Titans have always been coming out of the Hollow Earth. Because when you think about um, episode one or episode two, I think it is, it's episode two, when Shaw stops the Jeep and he looks up in the sky, the trail he sees is the exact same colour as the radiation that's coming out of the hole in this episode. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's mm. indicating that that creature had also come from the Hollow Earth. So obviously our understanding of things up until this point is that the skull crawlers on uh, Skull Island were coming out of the Hollow Earth and that was it. But actually I think this is leaning towards the idea that that's where everything comes from. Um, and I will say to you as well, I think it's very interesting that in one of the trailer shots for this show we see Shaw geared up in like astronaut gear going towards a pod kind of vehicle because I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we're going to see Monarch's very first adventures into the Hollow Earth as a part of this show as well that would be pretty cool where was that was that in um Antarctica I think <laughs> In, um, in uh sorry i'm thinking out loud but like in, yeah. in godzilla versus kong where they where they showed us going into yeah, the hollow the earth right? in Antarctica, and that's where the um oh, portal into the hollow earth is as well that's is no but is that where we saw in godzilla versus kong or is that just yes the, the massive facility it's the same thing okay Yes. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm having a hard time placing everything. But so I'm just thinking, yeah, there's all these portals all over the place that they're all just yeah. pouring out of uh, over time. And maybe, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they, these creatures come with this radiation signal that's pulsing out. And as soon as one pops out, it's like, oh, hey, we got something else to deal with here. But yeah, I don't know. I uh, I I love to see where this is going. I have no idea, and I'm I didn't watch. I don't know what you saw, but I, I didn't watch whatever that was. So uh, it's, it's I'll have to look at the spacesuit. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. um, it's one of the when you search Monarch Legacy of Monsters, it's one of the gifts that pops up. So it's the gift that I used oh, okay. on a post last week. Okay. Um, but I think it's really interesting, actually, that you mentioned the facility in Antarctica, because I feel like Godzilla versus Kong almost presents it as the first time you've seen the Hollow Earth and the first time the monarch's been there. But clearly it's not, because they already have that massive facility built. Yeah, that's already the there, yeah. Why would you have it if you haven't been there before? So although they say the heaves are the only way that they can safely traverse it, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something else to do with it. And and by the way, can I just shout out to like Universal Orlando to please give us a ride with one of those vehicles <laughs> into the Hollow Earth? That sounds like the best ride I would have ever yes. gone on. Can I can I please get that? That would be such a sick vehicle to like get into. You know, if you've ever gone on like Star Tours or something like that, it's fun like being on Star Tours. So you get into that vehicle and then they take you down into the Hollow Earth. You're doing a whole bunch of stuff. It would be amazing. Like please make that. Okay, ride. Brad, but here's the compromise. If you get that ride, River Adventure goes. 
Okay. I'll take that. <laughs> Guys, this is no Sorry. longer the Jurassic Park podcast. <laughs> it's the Monarch cast. Yep. Um, anyway, where were we? Um, so, yeah. All right. So we're back in Alaska. Kentaro's like on his own and he's hearing voices in the wind. He ends up passing yeah. out. Um, and the other group like just realizes like, oh my God, we just walked in circles. Now we're back at the tent. Yeah. And I like that Lee mentions like Titans bring out these odd effects on their surroundings and, and how they experience them. I thought that was kind of cool. Like, and, and maybe that's what Kentaro's hearing. Like, I don't know what his deal is, but like he's hearing voices and like, yeah. and, and they're having odd effects and circling around and, you know, the, the storm that was in the sky. Like, so there's things that these monsters, these Titans bring that like change the environment. I thought that was kind of cool. I don't, have we ever yeah. experienced anything like that in this franchise before? No, I don't know. I don't it, know that it sounds it's familiar to me. Precedent, doesn't it? Because I mm -hmm. think that explains why the soldier that Kate sees is wearing a gas mask when he's on the bridge in San Francisco. Like, mm. well, why would you have that equipment otherwise? Clearly, perhaps Monarch know that these... Well, they do, because Shaw used to work for them. So Monarch have experienced these side effects before, but obviously yeah. me and the universe just haven't seen them yet. I think yeah. that's the recurring theme that I really like with this show, is it makes the universe, and in terms of the encounters that this organization's had, feel so much wider, because obviously we knew that there were these other outposts set up from the viral marketing. But what this show is doing is really giving you a grounded sense of actually there's been other things that have happened in this universe without you seeing them, which is quite cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, just expanding the world like one little reveal at a time. I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, so at this point, we, we already talked about these pieces here, but we know Tacoma sucks. Don't go there, apparently. Yeah. Uh, not my words. That's from May. She said it. Uh, she's ignoring the phone call for a bit. Um, back in 2015 again, we we see that they're back in the tent, and they've got a fire going. They're, she's, like, getting some feeling back in her legs, so that's good. I didn't ever expect, like, she was going to die I, I, or, yeah. you know, or anybody else in this moment. I didn't think she was going to lose her legs or anything. I was like, she'll be fine. <laughs> you know, so... I wasn't too like uh, distraught, but uh, you never know, I guess. But um, she's getting her legs back. It's okay. The Titan appears underground and, and starts heading right towards their camp. And they're like, we got to get out of here. So yeah. the thing just, it was such a cool sequence. It just inhales this tent and the yeah. fire and everything. It just like from underground just sucks it all down with it. And it was such a cool sequence. I thought that was pretty cool. I think they did a really good job of actually making this Titan feel quite uh, foreboding. And mm -hmm. I like the the idea that it builds into what other creatures in fiction do quite well, which is you never, like there's a lot of time where you don't see the full creature, you just see parts of it and that's a lot more terrifying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we do cut back to Monarch headquarters as well and they're given their yeah. basically like presentation about like what's going on and what the readings are. And how are we going to handle this thing? Like, what are we going to do? And I think this is our final, this is our confirmation that Tim, you know, there's nothing more like threatening than, a, than or yes. none, whatever, whatever he said. He said, like, no one's ever threatened by a Tim or something. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I, I feel like we get our confirmation that Tim is, to me, a good guy. Like, he, he yeah. he's like, he's like, what's going on here, people? Like, we, we did this so we could help save people and, and their loved ones from dying. Like, 
you you gotta yeah. care more like what are we doing here <laughs> so i i feel like he's a good guy what do you think yeah, I definitely think he is actually at this point, which is quite interesting. I had, um, so I have quite a few observations about this bit, which shows you mm. that I get into the weirdest details. I love it. <laughs> um, but the first thing is the fact that Barnes, when she first calls into the headquarters, says that she needs to speak to assistant director uh, Verdugo. So we know that Verdugo is the assistant director of Monarch, which is crazy to think about. Just to, to contextualise, she's essentially the Maria Hill of this universe, which is quite <laughs> cool. Um, so we know that she's this very senior person, which is awesome. The thing that I found interesting during this sequence is the fact that you have all of these video screens and I've paused it to double check. I couldn't be sure, but I don't think that Sarah Zara or, um, Graham are there anywhere, which is also yeah. quite interesting because I'm curious as to what they're doing at this point, because they're still going to be around after San Francisco. Unless mm. perhaps we're going to see them in a later episode, if they were to go to a certain location. Um, so <laughs> I, think... I hope so, man. Like I, I was, <laughs> I thought the exact same thing at that moment when those screens were up there. I was like, "Why are they not in? Like, where are they with this yeah. conversation? Like, shouldn't they be involved with this? Like, but I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe we'll see I, later. Who knows? I just wanted too much money, you know." Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, so they're not there, so that's so. fine. But then, to to your point, I think it's really interesting that at this point, Verdugo is actually backing Tim to some extent, because you can see she agrees with some of what he says. She's also listened to Barnes and brought this forward to a whole team meeting, which is mm. quite a big thing to do as an assistant director, right, based on one piece of intelligence. So I think that's interesting, because our initial introduction to her is oh, deploy the tactical team, get after shore. So you think, okay, she might not be that nice. But actually, she does seem like she's a good character as well, which I find quite interesting. Um, and what I think was particularly prominent was that when Tim referenced not losing any more loved ones to Titans, you see her visibly look down and sort of disassociate from the conversation mm. for a second. So clearly, we're going to get some backstory that explains what has happened to her why she's doing this and the emotional investment that she's got in this because clearly she's lost loved ones and there's there's so much they could do there like i'm gonna blow your mind right now brad <laughs> can you imagine if one of the kids who didn't get off the bus was hers oh my god why why would you do that to me that's horrible that is horrible it's, it's, yeah. it, there's so much there's there's a lot of potential oh. to really run these characters and their motivations which i think is really really exciting yeah I guess when when somebody says to you, like, the last time we saw a reading like this was before Godzilla came out and destroyed a city, you know, like, I think you yeah. as a director or assistant director or whoever, you'd be like, OK, all right, maybe we should take this seriously. But that's yeah. that's good because you feel like most movies uh, where something bad, like a big world changing event is going to happen everybody's like no that can't be true and then they just go yeah. on about their business and then it, by the time they realize it's always too late so it's good to see monarch is taking you know these threats seriously and they're, and it's scientific and they're you know they're not like just not caring about what's going on so that that is good to see um yeah yeah so we're back uh where are we now um uh we are i think where are we 
Oh, back in Alaska. I lost my notes. Uh, I was like, I went all, all the way up to the top again. Uh, <laughs> Kentaro is, is uh, he's been kind of flashing back and forth between, you know, uh, things going on. He's following like an illusion uh, of his dad into the blizzard further. He ends up finding that facility uh, that he yeah. saw from from a distance. Uh, he had mentioned it was like a big golf ball or something like that. So yes. you see that there's some other smaller facilities and it kind of transforms from his like his art installation place, like the building. And then it, you know, reveals itself to be that place, which I thought was cool. Um, he's basically yeah. like struggling with reality right now. Um, and maybe this is, this seems to, which I would associate as assuming to be uh, related to the the Titan itself with, you know, affecting the reality around them. So maybe he's just hallucinating a bit because of that, I guess. Um, and he's kind of flashing back and forth between 2014 and now. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. He sees his dad's pencil yeah. shavings, which I'm like, this guy's shaving pencils everywhere he goes. <laughs> he's like, dude, he writes hard, dude. Stop writing he's so a hard. Pencil shaver. <laughs> I mean, like I use pencils, but I never even I don't know when the last time I, I you know, had to had to had to do that. So <laughs> I don't know. He's doing it all the time. He's like furiously writing theories about these <laughs> Titans. So he's he's constantly redoing it. So luckily, he's leaving breadcrumbs all around. Um, yeah. And I thought this is an interesting part because like. Kentaro walks into the or walks up to the building, but in his mind, he's walking into his art installation and he's seeing all those faces all around. And basically there was like like something earlier. There was like that thing that his mom was reading and it basically said, like, you know, they want you to like step into this and see these faces flashing before you and basically see these different emotional states and like realize like what ones do you identify with like who are you you know and so he's basically like looking at his dad like uh in the reflection i thought that was kind of interesting and he he basically just abandoned the rest of his people so i'm wondering he in inside of him he's probably having some turmoil about like yeah. you know did did i just abandon them like he he did for us you know and you know it, it's it's a struggle and you, i i feel like you know maybe I don't know if we didn't really see Kate's side of it. At one point she was just like, no, we can't let him go. But like, I wonder if she's feeling abandonment like her dad, you know, when he's just yeah. like, no, you guys go take these bus tickets to Reno. I got stuff to do. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I wonder if he's worried about becoming his father or, or anything like that. Um, and his dad, you know, he has like a little conversation with his dad about, which seemingly is about 2014 and, and the art installation and showing up and stuff, but also it kind of blends into now. And like, you know, I never, I, I didn't know this would be like the last time I saw you and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting that like, you know, he's flashing between conversations that may have happened or maybe didn't happen. Yeah. I don't even know. And then like also maybe what he wants to say to his dad. So I thought that was kind of interesting yeah it was very emotive and obviously him getting his dad saying that he's proud of him which is clearly what he was sort of longing for was quite i guess quite... i mean the way i saw it though his dad was like like you did a great job congratulations i am proud of you mm -hmm. and like that's not the response you really yeah. want like yeah sure sure you want to hear those words but like it was just so cold you know and yeah i don't know i don't know what they were trying to tell us there like I'm oh, having a hard did, time. 
wouldn't have missed it for the world, didn't he? And when you think about the context of what this yeah. man's doing, it's quite significant. Yeah, that is true. That is very true. Um, so I'll give him that. But I, I'm just not connecting with the guy himself. I, I feel like, you know, I don't know what they're trying to tell us about him because he just seems like a bad dad at this point, you know, like he's abandoned people. I, I know he's looking out for people, I, you know, and that that is his reasoning is he's trying to help and save people. But at the same time, he just keeps abandoning people. So and and the way his whether this was reality or not, like if this actually happened in 2014 and he gave these cold responses, I, I just thought it was interesting that, it, you know, he was saying all the right things and saying he wouldn't have missed it. And but it was just like, I'm here. Good job, great work, Kentaro. Yeah. You know, I I love you or whatever he said. You know, like I just thought it was interesting that there was no emotion to that conversation at all um, from his dad, at least. But but basically, I like that his dad's thoughts or his words kind of like transformed into like the radio sound, and like basically you heard like the radio, and that's where he's like, oh my gosh, yeah. I can I can contact people for help. So it brought him back a little bit. I am. Um, you, you're going to be impressed. I actually have my phone in hand to do research this time rather than <laughs> saying something that is non-factual. Um, but I was just double checking that it was Apex in uh, Godzilla vs. Kong and it was. So I'm going to say something interesting here, which is obviously his father got the communications working because when he gets there, it's still on and it's still working. Um, but as far as we're aware, at least, and it could be that there's a double bluff and actually they know he's not, but Monarch seemed to think he's dead. So... If we are going in the direction of the MonsterVerse, which I think we... Not, not the MonsterVerse, the Hollow Earth, which I think <laughs> we are, then I, again, tying into the whole story with May, I wonder if somebody else has now got their father and whether it is Apex Cybernetics or whether it's another company um, or another entity involved in whatever's going on. I just, I, I have a feeling there's more to the fact that their father has clearly made contact with somebody, but it's not Monarch or it doesn't seem to be Monarch. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like, this would have all, when would this have all happened? Because, like, his dad, so dad went missing a long time this, ago, right? That's his con. Well, yeah. So he he went missing in 2014, but like he obviously set up this tent and and he was maybe doing some some work there. I don't know for how long. I don't imagine he spent a year there or anything. Yeah, but maybe uh, I don't, I just don't think so. So, but this place is like falling apart as well, and there's just like a little bit of snow in there, and it's still operating. Yeah. So it's like it almost gives you the sense that like, and plus like his his pencil shavings were like just out in the middle of the snow yeah, and like, and like not covered by snow or anything. He just enough to see him right there. And then also on that desk with the radio, it's just right there. So it makes me feel like that his dad was maybe just here. Like yeah. that, that they just keep missing him. So I don't know if that timeline works out. Maybe he didn't, I don't know. Do we, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, wait, wait, did, so wait, wait, wait I, a second. Did, he, did their dad, died just maybe recently though right because they obviously died yes. in quotes yeah, so yeah, yeah. so maybe he maybe he went missing you know in 2014 after the attacks and then you know oh he died you know 
in a plane crash or whatever it was. Um, so I guess like he could, it could just be really recent. It doesn't have to, he has, yeah. doesn't have to have been there for like a while. Um, so I guess that, that does check out at least for me. Cause I'm like, I'm thinking about this timeline. When does all this take place? I have no idea, but um, yeah, but it I, I seems think like it could check out. There's a bit more credence to it as well. Obviously the, the shavings that are out in the snow, that could just be part of the hallucination anyway. That it could be. Yeah. Direction. Um, mm. And if they're inside a building, like you say, there's only a little bit of snow in there, so they're not going to be covered, but they could still be fairly old. So I think, I, I, I think the timeline is very much still up in the air, isn't it? Yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't, so I'm trying about the timeline. That's why I was bringing it up is like, you know, is there a chance that he called for help before Tim tried to track down, you know, he went and noticed his, he was in his own house, like that guy's house. And he's like, Oh my God, like, what am I doing here? And so maybe, maybe he got picked up, you know, maybe he got picked up in the meantime, like while all yeah. this was happening, you know? So it's possible that he is with Monarch, I think, but like, Maybe Tim didn't realize or, you know, or anything like that. I don't know. Yeah. He could be there, but I like your idea that maybe somebody else picked him up, but um, I don't know that we have any, I don't know that we have any idea outside of other films that there would be any other companies involved just yet, right? So, yeah. I, I don't know. So, anyway, but uh, uh, he does call for help, and... Uh, Lee and the others were about to like light up this di this dinosaur. Wow, what is it? Uh, Titan. <laughs> uh, they're wrong about to light it up. Guys, wrong franchise. Wrong one. I know. And then it attached it their little camp. Runs a website called Collect Jurassic or something. <laughs> that, this is this is very much confusing me. I wrote Tom in my notes, and I was like, wait, wait, wrong person. Uh, <laughs> um but anyway they call for help the, the helicopter comes they just narrowly escape um and everybody's all good and that's when tim slash tom whoever agent t is at the uh <laughs> helicopter there and he's like it's you know i didn't expect to see you here it's been a long yeah. time or, or whatever he said it's nice to meet you or something finally i think yeah was. he's like it's nice to finally meet you colonel yeah. sure um that that so. reveal was so cool because when you see the door open initially if you look really closely you can see the monarch emblem on the shoulder of the soldier who's like stood behind the door so instantly i was like oh they've not gone back to the coast guard hq i don't know where they are <laughs> and then when he appeared i was like oh my god yeah yeah so that was cool i it was that was nice I, i'll be interested to see where he takes them next and yeah uh what the plan is the the computer's fried so i guess all that yeah. information is gone um so yeah we'll see but i thought it was i thought it was a fun episode um and pretty deep at times and and thought-provoking obviously and uh and yeah, and not as not as breezy of a pace as some of the others, but it was pretty good, yeah. and I'm excited to see where it takes it. So, what I, is, I am as well. we, How many episodes are there? Ten? Is there ten? Ten. Yeah. Okay, so we're not we're not at the halfway. We're almost halfway here. But I was like, oh yeah. man, <sighs> I hate it when you get to a halfway point in the show and you're like, it's almost over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am. I'm really curious to see how they're going to build things out. Because obviously, Tim in every scene he's been in has placed a lot of weight on Randa's files, and he does so again in this episode. At first, when he first talks, he says about um, you know, it's mentioned in Randa's files, and I find it quite interesting that there was that facility that can 
uh, Kentaro ended up in in the first place because that that was clearly a military facility because that was a satellite dome that was on it. So mm. at some point in time, there's been military in that area as well. So I I'm, I'm really curious to see how it all unfolds because obviously I think I said this last episode, um, but we know that something's happened between Shaw and Randa at some point and they've gone their separate ways. And also the kind of vibe I'm almost getting by the choice of needing to get the files back so urgently and Tim placing so much weight on them and also having this old abandoned facility is almost this idea that maybe Monarch was doing a lot more at one point in time and then they scaled back down or something and now they're having to expand again. Like it almost feels like maybe they were at a point where they had a good track record of all of these titans and then for whatever reason their funding got cut or something and that's why g-day ultimately happened because the scale of monarch that we're seeing Shaw, randa and keiko build clearly isn't the scale that it's been at consistently and i think there's potentially some really really interesting story there as to why that happens what causes it to happen <laughs> What, what is wrong with us? What, we get extra stories and we just want to know more stories uh, that yeah. take place in between those stories. Uh, I just need all the stories. Don't leave anything out. Tell me everything. Oh, so, yeah. Brad, just you wait for the, the next episode we're recording and some of the things I've come up with, my friend. Well, don't give them all away, man. Cause like you gotta keep your own, you gotta keep them close to your chest, man. Those are, those are some good ideas, I'm sure. So anyway, thank you, uh, everybody for watching this video. And, uh, yes, we are going to be talking about, uh, Jurassic world chaos theory, um, on the Jurassic park podcast. So please, you know, listen to that shortly, uh, when that comes out or yeah, it should be out. Um, well, shortly after this episode, but, um, but I'm excited to talk about it with, with, I don't know if I'm going to be talking about it with Agent T, though. It might be somebody else. Yeah, we'll it's see. going to be somebody else. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Agent T, uh, I know you probably don't want anybody to find you, but do you want to talk about anything else before we head out of here? That's classified, Brad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, please go check out the Jurassic Park podcast where we talk about Jurassic Park all the time. You can check us out on uh, threads and Instagram and TikTok, Facebook if you want to, I guess, uh, and the podcast itself, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Audible, Amazon Music, places like that where we have new episodes every week. We just wrapped up a three-part series discussing... Um, the original score for Jurassic Park. It was really great. So had a good time with that one. And then we're going to be talking about Chaos Theory next. So thank you everybody for watching and we'll see you next week with uh, episode five. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a good one. So bye everybody. <laughs>